Good evening, everybody. It's nice to see you tonight. Welcome to Grace Church on a Wednesday evening. We're glad that you're here. I've enjoyed um, listening to the laughter uh, from, from the platform that's out here. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. But uh, it's, it's good to be with family tonight. For those of you that are joining us via live stream, Facebook Live, welcome to you as well. We're glad that you would be with us tonight. I want to give you just a couple of announcements and something that the Lord just kind of dropped on me today before uh, Pastor comes this evening. But I want to make you aware of just a couple of things. First of all, uh, all of our men, please remember uh, Saturday the 29th, we will have men's prayer in the A Center at 9 a.m. We encourage you to be there with us if you can. And then also Sunday, June 6th, will be an academic awards Sunday we want to take an opportunity to recognize awards that your students have earned during the past school year. And so if you would please submit a description of each award, because we don't know what they are, if you would let us know what they are so that we can properly recognize them, I believe our students should be honored for the hard work that they put in throughout the school year. And what a better place to do it than here with church families. So please get those descriptions into us so we can recognize them. And as always, y'all know that you can stay tuned with what's going on here at Grace Church via the church app or the events tab on the webpage. You know, we are um, so quick to miss the significance of small things, little things, things that seem insignificant compared to the task or to the need. And we really ought to know better by now. If you've walked with God for five minutes, you ought to know better than to dismiss the significance of anything small. God sent the prophet Elijah to a widow in Zarephath who had almost nothing to her name. And Elijah told her, look, would you please bring me a little water and, and a little, little cake, bake me a little cake. And uh, I'm down with that. I like a little cake. I don't know about water. I'd rather have some milk, but whatever you got. And she said, uh, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. Listen to the language. I don't have anything. Just a, just a handful of flour and a little oil. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we can eat it and die. And Elijah said, well, would you cook me something first? That's pretty bold. That's pretty bold. And it says, she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. I only got a little, just a handful, a couple of sticks. But they ate for many days. It says the jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. And one chapter later, you know, it hadn't rained in Israel in three years at this point. And Elijah said to his servant, go up now, look to the sea. And he went and looked and said, there's nothing. And so Elijah said, well, go again. Seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. 
And Elijah told his servant, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. There's a lot of rain coming. All I saw was just a little cloud. Oh, there's, there's a lot of rain coming. So much rain coming that it will stop you. It says, and in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was great rain from a little cloud. You know, there is great wisdom, mature wisdom, spiritually mature wisdom, and recognizing the significance of small things, the little things that come our way. Mark, in Hebrews 11, it said, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Moses' parents recognized that even in his infancy, even when he was little, even when he was insignificant, when he seemed more like a liability than something to be valued and protected and guarded, they looked at that little baby and they said, this is something special and we need to protect it. So, Grace Church, before pastor comes, let me just ask you a question. What are the little things in your life? What are the things that seem insignificant? What are the things that seem like an inconvenience right now that God has brought your way? It's a little cloud, it's a little meal, just a little oil, but it might be the source of a great miracle. It might be the source of great provision. It might be the source of exactly what you need and exactly what your family needs. We cannot discount the impact of the small things that are in our lives. Amen. God bless you. Let's pastor come. Good to see everybody tonight. Glad to be here. I'm glad to be here, glad to see you, and uh, thank you for being here tonight, and uh, look forward to Wednesday night Bible study, and thank you, Brother Jason, for sharing with us. My mind went to the loaves and fishes, and what one disciple thought, this is so small among so many, and of course, little is much when God is in it, and I often feel like people could give a little and God make it into something huge if only you could get them to give the little. It's kind of embarrassing sometimes when you don't feel like you compete in that department. I can't compete because there's nothing I can give. There's not that much I can give. But you'd be amazed. There's people here at Grace Church that have contributed mightily to the kingdom of God only by contributing a little. But God takes it and it goes a long ways. Thank the Lord. Good presentation tonight. Very well done. I want you to stand with me tonight if you would. I'll ask you to stand with me tonight and I'd like for us to pray before we <clears throat> launch into Bible study tonight. 
Um, we've been praying and have mentioned several times from the pulpit about uh, Cassie Crochet's nephew, uh, Brandon. <clears throat> Brandon is 36 and has three small kids. Married has three small kids. And uh, we've been praying uh, a whole lot for him. But uh, he passed away this afternoon. And I would like for us to pray for Cassie and her family. The reason this is so special is that uh, this was her nephew, and I understand perhaps her only nephew. And uh, she's taken this very hard as well as the rest of the family. So could we take a moment tonight and just pray for these folks? You say, well, I don't know this person. And, well, you don't have to. If you've ever experienced death before, you know how it feels, especially when it's so unjustified as it is in, in this case. But we put these things in the hands of God. So put yourself in that place, and let's pray tonight for these folks that God would help. Jesus, we call on you tonight knowing that you're very well capable, and I'm convinced that you excel in moments like these. In your earthly ministry, you do not shy away from moments like these. Uh, if you've raised the dead, you've, you've healed those who were dying, and, and you've been amazing. And I pray tonight, God, that you would take Cassie and her family and you would scoop them up in your hands, wrap your arms tightly around them, and I pray, God, that they would feel the comfort, the soothing of the Holy Ghost. And I pray, God, that you would guide them, their attitude, their perspective, their faith, their confidence, their belief. I pray, God, that you would guide their steps through this very, very difficult time. And again, I ask that they would feel the comfort of the Holy Ghost like no one else can, you can minister to them. I pray in this very dark time, and we give you thanks in advance. And we know, God, that you're going to be with them every step of the way. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Thank you so much for your prayers, and you may be seated. I want to go to the word of the Lord tonight. Last Wednesday night, I talked to you about priorities, and it was based on the first of the Ten Commandments. And uh, tonight, I'd like to talk to you about the second commandment, which is, I will title my Bible study tonight, Counterfeits. The Bible calls it idolatry, but tonight for this Bible study, I'll call it counterfeits. The Bible said, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Let me talk to you for a little while tonight about counterfeits or idolatry. Archaeologists, of course, have found evidence of idols in virtually every culture throughout history. Statues of gods and goddesses. I'm going to stop right here and say, I, I'm going to ask you not to block this out and say this is not relevant to me. 
you might be surprised at how relevant it is to all of us. Uh, again, I'm just a messenger boy here tonight bringing you the Word of God. Man has a misguided desire to turn things or people or ideas into objects of worship. I want to say that again. Man has a misguided desire to turn things. Now, there's going to be people that hear this statement and say, what does that have to do with me? Uh, turn things, people, or ideas into objects of worship. I want to show you as we traverse through this Bible study that perhaps, it, again, it's very relevant to all of us. So when man has this misguided desire to turn things, people, ideas, and objects of worship, God says don't. Do not do that. I'll have you notice out of the some 613 laws that are contained in the law of Moses that's recorded in the Torah, of 613 laws, 50 of them have to do with prohibitions against idolatry. The Hebrew word for graven image means something carved or fashioned with the hands. But I want to say to us tonight, bowing down in front of a statue is only one expression of idolatry. There's many types of idolatry. An idol is something, an idol is something, an idol is anything that takes the focus off God and puts it on something else. If you take your ministry and you focus more on something else that's going on in society, you take your focus off of ministry and put it on something else in society, more than you are doing with God, then whatever that is has become an idol. Now hope is starting to kind of get relevant. When anything besides God is first in my life, it is an idol. Even if it's good, even if it's for the good, even if it's charitable, or what other, any words you want to put in that blank, if it comes, if it takes focus off of God, it becomes an idol. And God doesn't want us to value anything more than we value Him and I hope I can say that tonight for very obvious reasons. He doesn't want that to happen. In the United States, the worship of idols or images is rare, although it does happen. It is more common to find those that worship ideologies that are against the God of the Bible than do statues. That's what goes on in America. That's what's going on today in America. People worship ideologies. Uh, that are against God and against the Bible. They worship that even though they may not be worshiping statues. But I believe tonight as far as the Bible is concerned, as far as God is concerned, this is as much idolatry as statue worship is. In Bible times, there were three primary idols, and, and you find them exclusive, almost exclusively in the Old Testament. However, they do exist in the New Testament, and they're referenced numerous times in the New Testament, even by Jesus himself. But the three primary idols that you'll read about in the Bible is, first of all, is Baal. Everybody's heard of Baal, all the prophets of Baal and all of that. Baal was the god of sex. 
The second one was mammon, an idol called mammon. It was the god of money. You heard, you, you've read where Jesus said to not serve God. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. And then there was the god called Molech, which was a god of violence. I want you to consider these three gods to, and, and, and make it relevant to our society today. The god of sex, god of money, and god of violence. What do you think is going on in America today? Anybody have any idea? Can you, is it getting more and more relevant to kind of where we're living? The baser human desires, the baser human desires for unrestricted sex, selfishness, greed, and violence are reflected in these three idols. Today we don't worship objects as much as we worship ideas and images and all these images of sensuality, greed, and violence are reflected on in every part of our society today. Yes, it is. So to say, to say it where it's relevant to our understanding, if you'll notice the trends, especially in America, in our culture, which is the trends of our culture, which is money, music genres, religious preferences, Holiness being vain and carnal, sports, drugs, pleasure, all of these things are rampant in our society. They've crept into the church and using the basis that I've just given you, it is a form of idolatry or counterfeit. The task of teaching our children what values are the task of teaching our children what values are important is made much more difficult because of the idols that they are bombarded with every single day. So here comes the second commandment. It's aimed directly at the human tendency to take matters of right and wrong out of God's hands and put them in our hands. This is what the Second Amendment bottom line is getting to. It's where you're taking away from God His ability to determine what right and wrong is, and you put it in your hands. This ran prevalent in the book of Judges. The Bible said over and over they did that which was right in their own eyes. And idolatry was running rabshot, if you will, throughout the book of Judges. But this is idolatry in its purest form. When a person chooses a lifestyle that violates the moral will of God, they are erecting an idol fashioned by their own hands and making God over in their own image so they won't feel condemned by God's commandments. This is what's going on in our society you're blind to that, I don't know what to say. The second commandment is simply a reiteration of the directive God gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said in Genesis 2, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat. Now, people read that verse and immediately dismiss it. They don't see what God is giving this couple access to. People phase it out. 
It is completely deleted because of the next statement God made. There's a garden. I don't know how big the Garden of Eden was. If it was an acre, it's pretty big for two people. I don't know how big it is. I, I, I would think knowing God the way I know it was huge. But people will dismiss verse 16 because of what verse 17 says. Which is, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And you say, see, God has always taken things away. Always, no, 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 no. He just said, however many trees were in the Garden of Eden, it would have been interesting to know how many. Could have been 10,000 trees you can have access to but one. You can have access to all of them but one. And God is horrible. Can't believe he's depriving me of this one tree. That's the way we think. Yes, it is the way we think. I've talked to too many folks over the past years. That's the way we think. So God was prohibiting man from meddling with morality. They were not to change in any way what God had declared to be right and wrong. Mankind's moral code is off limits to us according to God. But the devil tries to portray God as the taker. God's always taking the fun stuff away. God won't let me do this. The Bible won't let me do that. Anybody heard that? Anybody heard it from your teenagers lately? When in reality, people, again, X out verse 16 that we just read when God said you can have every tree in this garden you can eat of it all you want it's only one I'm asking you not to y'all put that in context so the devil tries to portray God as a taker when he is really the giver so notice that before God gave Adam and Eve a prohibition he first gave them permission yes he did he was saying enjoy everything I've created just don't usurp my rightful my rightful place, and my moral authority. It's interesting to me in James 1.17, the Bible said that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, which, uh, in whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every good and perfect. And it's funny how when bad things happen, we automatically blame God and give the devil a pass. When really and truly it's a devil in sin that started all this mess. Everybody say amen. amen. So the alternate lifestyle, and I'm saying that in reference to people not living a godly life, but living a very worldly, little, uh, uh, carnal life. This worldly, sinful, carnal life is the alternate lifestyle I'm talking about. People are sure that if the Bible restricts us from any pleasure, then it must restrict all pleasure. That is not the precedent that God set in Genesis with Adam and Eve. There's, every, there's trees here you can enjoy for days for the, the rest of your life, which is going to be eternal because you'll never die. There's every kind of tree and they're going to bear fruit. You're around, there's just one tree I'm asking you not to fool with. And the devil completely blew that completely out of proportion and persuaded Eve that God meant something else. I want you to know that the, the Bible has a lot of things in it that is acceptable. You say, well, I don't believe that. Have you read the Song of Solomon lately? I don't want to get too graphic here tonight, but the Song of Solomon, 
celebrates sexual pleasure in a parameter. I know what that parameter is. It's called marriage. But see, we don't like that. God is horrible that we can't be sexual before we marry. That is just God is awful. And then God expects us to only be sexual when we get married with one person for the rest of our life. He is awful. Cannot believe God is depriving me of all this pleasure. Look at all these people out here that I could just have so much pleasure with. But what the devil don't tell you in that lie is the consequences there are in that kind of behavior. Talk to the man or woman who's cheated on his wife or cheated on their boyfriend or girlfriend. Talk to them and see how it worked out. Talk to the people that go to the doctor because they have a sexually transmitted disease and they're, they're, they're sterile and they can't have children. Talk to them and see how it worked out for them. See, the devil don't tell you that part of the story, does he? Eve was tempted to become like God. She was tempted to become like God because if she was a God, then she could make her own rules. And folks, I'm teaching this as passionately and as plain as I can here tonight because I keep hearing people say the Bible is just full of rules of things I can't do. If you could take the promises out of this book and compare them to the things you can't do, you could take heaven alone and study that for a while and understand that anything God tells you no to is going to be worth it to get to go to heaven. Besides all the blessings you get down here and all this cool stuff that God does in our lives. So the second commandment says that God is jealous. He will allow no substitutes for himself. Why? Not because he is insecure, insane, or possessive, but because he is intensely devoted to us. In addition to that, he made us. I believe God has a right to feel that way. I believe he's entitled to it, if you will. He's not insecure. But have you ever been betrayed by somebody you love and you understand that feeling? That's what happens to God's heart every time we sin, is he feels that betrayal. If God allowed us to engage in idol worship, he would be willfully abandoning us to harmful counterfeits that inflict cruel disappointment and disillusionment on humanity every single day. The Bible said to take you therefore good heed unto yourselves for you saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire lest you corrupt yourself and make you a graven image the similitude of any figure the likeness of male or female. So the Bible is teaching us tonight to avoid counterfeits or substitutes for God, no matter what they are. So what's wrong with idols? What's wrong with it, Pastor? What's the big deal? First of all, an idol will disappoint you. They always do. Always do. Because they can never answer a prayer. They're deaf and they're dumb. They're blind. They are. Talk about addiction. When was the last time you prayed to your addiction and it answered anything? Idols will disappoint you. The Bible said every man is brutish in his knowledge. Every founder is confounded by the graven image. 
for his molten image is falsehood and there is no breath in them. One translation said, those who make idols are disillusioned because the gods they make are false and lifeless. They always promise more than they can deliver. An idol always promises more than it can deliver. No idol you build can solve all your problems or guarantee all your happiness. And you will one day be disappointed at your life's time of service to an idol or to an addiction or to a habit. The Bible, uh, the, the Bible also teaches not only do idols disappoint, but idols will dominate you. They control your life. The Bible said, you know that you were, dumb, you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. One translation said, before you knew Christ, you were controlled by dead idols who always led you astray. There's two inevitable effects when you love something more than you love God. It begins to control you. Listen to pastor tonight. The modern word for idol, if you will, is addiction. Eventually, the idol runs your life. If you can give it up anytime I want, I can give it up anytime I want. It's not an idol. I can give it up anytime I want. Okay, then why don't you? Why do we struggle so hard to give up things we're addicted to? It could be anything. You fill in the blank. I mean, we can do cigarettes, drugs, alcohol, but you can go to social media. These right here. Have you ever seen anybody that thought they lost their one of these and how they act? Tell me you're not addicted. People will go into cardiac arrest. You have to call 911 and the fire department and get the sheriffs and the FBI looking for it and all that. It's amazing. I believe people can recruit more people to look for their lost phone than they could for their lost kid. It's an addiction. The idol is dominating and distracting your life. Number two, it causes you to be led astray. It controls you and then it causes you to be led astray. Idols make you lose your perspective and cause you to set aside your values or compromise your morals and convictions. If you let another person control your life by their approval or disapproval, psychologists calls it codependency. The Bible calls it idolatry. You can break codependency by restoring God to the first place in your life. So I want everybody to understand that. Idols will disappoint you. They will dominate you. Number three, idols will deform you. The psalmist said, they that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. One translation said, those who make idols will become like them and so will those who trust in them. Idols can change and warp you causing you to lose the uniqueness that God gave you as you became like what you value most. We shape an idol and it ends up shaping us. Since we become like whatever is first in our lives, we'd better reserve that spot for God. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Why did Jesus tell him to do that? Because he knew what the idol was in the life of this person. And so Jesus asked him to give it up. And the Bible said he walked away grieved. Couldn't do it. So what do you need to give up tonight to give God back that place in your life? After, after this past Sunday, and I, I'm, I, I'm still feeling the pull 
of the service here Sunday, but, but why did Lot's wife look back? Was it to bow one more knee to an idol in Sodom? And it still fascinates me that an angel had her by the an angel, an angel. So what is it that you're holding on to that's keeping you from being all that God wants you to be? Is it an activity, a possession, a career, a relationship, a habit? What is it? If it's any of these things, it's an idol. If it's keeping you away from developing your relationship with God, you're into idolatry. We must always be willing to give anything up that God wants us to. He may never ask you, but you must always be willing in the event that he does. And I have found with God, outside of sinful things, obviously, but, but, but things that God has asked me to give up that I've agonized over, as it came down to it, he, he didn't ask me to give that. He didn't require me to do it. He just won't know if I was willing to do it or not. The things he commands in the scripture is never an option. I want everybody to understand that. If God's word tells you to give up something and you can't let go of it, then you don't own it. It owns you. Yes, it does. Have you ever thought about how $50 looks so small in the grocery store but so large at church? Man, I can't believe $50. That didn't buy me nothing at the grocery store. To take that same $50 bill and put it in the offering at church. I mean, I'm giving away my entire life. Yeah, I said, I've lost my savings account, right? I just didn't go sell my car and get my car. That's the way people look at it. Yes, we do. Everybody said amen. Y'all on board with me tonight? Let's talk about human feelings. Human feelings are one of the biggest idols there are today. Feelings. Everybody say feelings. Y'all remember the little pop song, anybody old enough back in the 70s, 80s? Feelings. Whoa, 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 feeling. You just feel it. The guy's singing about feelings. Feel. Got that little vibrato going, feelings. Psychology gives feelings a respectability and significance, I believe, that's beyond their due. Your feelings, my feelings, can be irrational changeable, unpredictable, <laughs> and even for a lot of people, incomprehensible. Feelings can be confused with moods, which are sometimes merely the product of indigestion, insufficient sleep, or just having a bad hair day. Feelings. And there's no substance and there's no content to these feelings. There's no justifiable reason why I'm feeling these things. I hope if y'all ever hear that song somewhere, you'll never hear it the same way again. <laughs> I hope I just ruined it. When major decisions and actions are based primarily on feelings, much damage is a result. I have counseled people many, many times when you're going through a very difficult time emotionally, be accountable to someone before you make any kind of major decision of anything. It could be your spouse just cheated, your girlfriend just broke up with you, you, you lost a lot of money in the stock market, somebody in your family passed away. That is not a good time to make a, a very important priority decision without being accountable to somebody. 
I know personally, Sister Murphy and I have saved lots of people through the years. Don't do that. Don't make that decision. Don't do that. Just wait about a month. Give it 30 days. And they come back 30 days and say, you know what? I am so glad because I was messed up back then. And I'm so glad I got my brain back and my, my head on straight or whatever. Feelings is no logic. There's no logic in feelings. I, I've talked to people, these couples that come in for, to tell me they're getting married and how much they're in love with each other. What people don't understand about love, and I say it respectfully, but especially about human love, it is as blind as a bat and dumb as a brick. It is. Oh, pastor, I met this person. I hear this all the time. They're such a Christian person, and they're such a this. And I'm like, no, they're not. Oh, yes, they are, and I'm in love with them. And they marry them. And a couple of years later, nobody goes to church. Nobody gives God any do about anything. And as usual, pastor was right. I don't say that to be on an ego trip, but we've marched in a few parades in our lifetime, figuratively speaking. And you can kind of see how things turn out for people, decisions they make based on feelings. The idolatry of feelings becomes evident when we bow to them as facts, as though feelings sometimes actually made it so. People who marinate in their feelings are idol worshipers. When anything but God becomes the end point of your attentions and activities, it's idolatry. And this counterfeit will damage you and your family. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Many marriages are broken up today simply because one person has decided that they're not happy anymore. Feelings. I'm not fulfilled. I've heard it from, from married couples. I'm going to divorce him, pastor. I'm going to divorce her, pastor, because I'm just not fulfilled anymore. What happened to your wedding vows? Your wedding vows was not predicated on your fulfillment. You said, I will love them until death do us part. That's what you said. But feelings come in and somehow justify and negate all the marital vows. And I'm going to do what I want. And you're taking morality out of the hand of God. And you put it in your own heart and say, I'm going to do it this way. I don't care what happens. I'm going to have my way. It's idolatry. It's a counterfeit. The children involved are then exposed to this hyper-erotic dating patterns that, and shacking up of their parents, which statistically puts them at risk to be sexually active at an early age. Mom and dad don't always think of that because feelings are selfish and they only think about myself. And like every sin of idolatry, this sin visits the iniquity of the parents upon their children. Through succeeding generations, the Bible said. You need to think. Have somebody to be accountable to. Somebody you can trust before you came into feelings. Because they're fickle. And they change from day to day. Once we seek stimulation as an end point in life, when it fails, we can medicate ourselves to achieve greater stimulation or to survive our disappointment or feeling of meaninglessness. And that's where addictions begin to happen. Addictions are short-term answers to timeless problems. Laws, morals, commitments, obligations, values, relationships, and love are sacrificed to create that feeling. So 
Why do we worship idols? Why do we worship idols? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you some reasons why we sometimes are idolaters and we don't really realize it. This is going to puzzle you. as It, it, it puzzled me and it, it may puzzle you. The reason people like to worship idols is because we like to limit God's location. We like to go places where God don't go. And if you make your own idol, then you can leave your idol anytime you want. Just tell the dude or dudette, I'll be back later. And it stays right where you left them. But God don't operate that way. Because he goes with you everywhere you go. It doesn't matter where you go. He goes with you everywhere. So people, the, the attractiveness of idols, of worshiping idols, is you can limit your new God's location. So if I can put God in a statue or in a church building then I could just leave him behind when I don't want him to be around. I don't want God going everywhere I go and seeing everything I do. But he does anyway because God is everywhere. And we don't like that. It's more convenient having an idol. What we don't understand is, I don't care what kind of idol you have in your life, it doesn't cause God to cease to exist. You, all the things we're trying to accomplish is, is stupid. Because God still exists. You're, you're not killing God. You're just ignoring his presence. The second thing we do is we're attempting to reduce God's power. If I can put God in a statue or in a church building, then he's less imposing and threatening and more convenient and manageable. We've reversed Genesis 1.27 that says, let's, let us make man in our image to read, let us make God in our image. People say, my idea of God is... Well, who made you the authority? It's a whole lot easier for me to just change my image of God than to let God change me into His image. Of course it's easier to do that. A lot of people change their theology because they can't justify their lifestyle any other way. We, we want to make God like us. We want God in our lives in small, pre-measured doses. I want God to bless me, but... I don't want him to run my life. God calls that idolatry. The third reason is we're attempting to control God. If I could put God in a statue or leave him in a church building, then I can manipulate God. With an idol, the worshiper has more control than the thing that's being worshipped. This illustration is so applicable. There was a little boy one time that wanted a new bicycle. So he goes out in the front yard... His parents were obviously of another religious persuasion. And he picks up the statue of Mary and goes and hides it. And writes a letter to God and says, if you ever want to see your mother again. So many adults try to demand things of God, but we don't manipulate God. We worship God. So this is why God teaches us to avoid counterfeit. So let me conclude tonight by giving you the benefits of worshiping only God. The, the, the true worship of God, true faith, sincere faith, honest faith in the God, the only God. His name is Jesus. The benefits of worshiping him. Number one, the psalmist said it will delight me. The psalmist said to delight thyself also in the Lord. Delight thyself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When I put God first, I experience a fulfillment in life that I look for in so many other places. 
We avoid the counterfeits. Don't settle for an image of God that's just a shadow of the real thing. The second benefit of worshiping only God is that he will deliver you. The Bible said, "He, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. The Bible promises that you will experience freedom like you've never felt if you will put God first in your life. You say, I don't believe that. I have seen too many people come to God who was involved in all kinds of stuff, everything you could imagine in the world, and they're delivered just like that. It's impressive, especially when it's cigarettes or alcohol or drugs. They're delivered just like that. I've baptized several people, and they come up out of the water, they're like, I baptized a lady one time in Baker, and she said, what is that stink? Came right out of the baptismal water. said, what is that stink? What is that smell? She had smoked for over 20 years, and I'm like, I don't smell nothing. She said, something stinks, and she picked up her clothes that she had changed out of to get baptized. She said, that's cigarette, that's disgusting, and went years. She fell away from God at some point, went years without smoking a cigarette and despised the smell of one. It happened just like that. It's impressive when it happens like that, especially when you've tried to do it on your own, going cold turkey and wearing the nicotine patch and chewing the gum and everything else, and nothing worked, and all of a sudden you get baptized, and boom, it's gone, and you don't even have a desire. You don't crave nothing. It's all gone just like that. I've had that happen more than once. So if God sets you free, you're free indeed. So you no longer have to worry about the expectations and approval of others because you're only focusing on pleasing God. Live your life for an audience of one. It's Jesus. So God will set you free from your past, which is regrets, your present, which is habits, and your future, which is worries. That's pretty cool freedom right there. It's benefits of worshiping God only. It will develop you. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When I put God first, I become the unique person God meant for me to be in the first place. And you become like what you love. Your family can't reach its fullest potential without putting God first. It's not easy building a family or a life on God's values when everyone else in society is saying these are the values you ought to idolize. But some people have an image of God as an angry, unappeasable parent who's never pleased them. Others have an image of God as a feeble grandparent that lets them get away with murder because they can't stop them. All of these things are false images of God. They're idols. I've had people say, if God is like my father, I want nothing to do with him. I've had people tell me that. So God wants you to know him as he really is. And, and how, to, how do we get to know what God is really like? You, you get to know him through the word of God and through the spirit of God. And I know we've all heard this, but there's people here tonight that need to read. You need to rediscover this. A good pray through in the altar, a good pray through the Holy Ghost, and just, just start taking of it a little bit every day, just a little bit every day. Makes all the difference in the world because I've seen it work in the lives of so many people. The people that have failed are the people who've ceased to let it work in their lives. Something replaces it. It could be bitterness. Bitterness becomes an idol that they bow down to and that controls them. It could be unforgiveness that Brother Jason talked about. It can be any number of feelings 
So 1 John concluded the whole thing when he said in 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourselves free from idols. Avoid the counterfeits and the substitutions. Focus on God and see where he'll take you, see what he'll do. It's interesting to me that, and the Bible teaches not to compare yourselves among yourselves, but I've noticed, I've noticed in families, I've noticed in families where there's several siblings, the difference between one family who raised their kids in church and the family who didn't. Same family, same parents. But one chose one way and another chose the other way. It's interesting to see what their kids and grandkids, the paths that they've chosen. Uh, been a witness to this for a number of years. It's, it's interesting to see people in youth groups, I refer to this Sunday, that grew up under the same pastor in the same church, prayed the same prayer room, sang the same choir, heard the same preaching. One chooses to go one way and the other chooses to go the other way. Who wins in the end? I'm old enough now to have peers, people that I hung out with when I was a teenager. So in my early 20s, Sister Murphy and I both do, that are dead now. Some of them died right with God, some of them didn't. I mean, which path would you rather walk down? The path to heaven or the other one? It's a pretty loaded question. But it sure is comforting to stand at a graveside of a child of God who's been stellar in their relationship with God, faithful and fervent and passionate in their relationship with God. It's so comforting to stand at a graveside like that. It's the way I felt about my mother when she died. I, she took her last breath. I put my hand under her nose, and no more air came out of her nose, and I, I knew she had passed away. And I got a little smile across my face because she just left here going to another place that all the stuff she went through here didn't matter anymore. Wish we could get a focus of that. Wish we could get a, a good focus of that. That I thought about it Sunday after this past Sunday service that heaven's going to be cheap at any price. And it's going to be worth the journey no matter what it takes. So I want to encourage you folks today that think this world has more to offer than church. You've been blinded. You've been seriously blinded. Nothing can take you to heaven but God himself. And I hope none of us ever forget that. Stand with me tonight. I'd like for us to pray again. I, I'm, I'm close to going into preach mode, and I, I, I don't want to do that right now. But just such a heaviness. I approached somebody Sunday after church. I'm not trying to single anybody out, I said. I'm not trying to call anybody out. I just want everybody to go to heaven. I was reminded, made the statement a couple of weeks ago. Somebody talked about a somebody that was formerly apostolic and has a church now turned their back on doctrine and most of the Bible has a church about 20,000 people now I'm not interested in that I'm not interested in the crowd I'm interested in the church that God can rapture that's what I'm interested in so I'd like for you folks to, to, to pray sincerely tonight that God would talk to all of us everybody and if there's things in our lives that we need to get rid of, there's things you're doing that's holding someone else back. Now you've become an idol to them. They're, they're worshiping you now more than, than they're worshiping God. There's a lot of things to consider. We just need to get rid of the counterfeits and the substitutions and put God first. Let's pray right now. Father, we love you tonight. We're thankful for the word. I know it sounds old and old-fashioned and old fogey and all of that. I know it does. It's not popular in our culture today. It's not. 
But I believe there's a host of people here tonight. There's people watching right now that, that really would like to go to heaven. They'd love to go to heaven. I believe there's people here tonight that are even watching live stream that, that love you. They do. They have a love in their heart for you, but they're, they're fighting things. They're wrestling with things. I pray, God, tonight that the Word of God would ring true with them. I pray that the Word of God would touch their heart and their mind, that they'd understand that I've got to have God in my life, and if I do, He's got to be first. And you don't share your throne in, in our lives with anybody else or anything else. And I pray, God, that we could all make you a focus like we never have before, that we could, we could be willing to be everything and anything you want us to be. I pray it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. All right, walk around and love on somebody. Tell them you're glad to see them, and Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday. Shout.